up everybody it's me it's me and no it is not diamond dallas page ddp it is actually mr sensational gino v gino vega coming to you with episode 42 of the mr sensational gino vega podcast on the ic robots radio network and i'm coming to you on this lovely may tuesday afternoon in 2021 at the time that I'm actually recording this podcast. When you listen to it is, I guess, entirely up to you. But on this Tuesday afternoon, I'm coming to you fortified by a lunch of um, two individual packages from two different variety packs of cereals. And we've talked cereal on previous episodes of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Um, And I think I even said I would check in as my serial journey continued. So I checking in is precisely what I'm doing now at this moment on Tuesday, May 25th at 1.01 p.m. in Napa, California in the year 2021. Uh, As I've mentioned previously, um... I didn't have access to a full array of mass-produced American breakfast cereals as a child. I was limited to Cheerios, Grape Nuts. That was about it. Uh, Probably had some, maybe some Frosted Flakes came down the pike once in a blue moon, some checks. But as far as the heavy hitters, the ones that were in constant advertising rotation on Saturday morning cartoons, your Trixes, your Fruit Loops, your Lucky Charms, your Cocoa Pebbles, your Cocoa Puffs, and so on and so forth, I had very little access and very little experience with these cereals as a child growing up um, because my sort of, uh, and again, they weren't... This was mainly my mother, and even in her case, she wasn't like an insane, um, insanely oppressive health freak. It's not like it was like carob and grains for every uh, meal. Um, But she did kind of have that killjoy um, health impulse in her, and so she never felt it necessary to really venture wildly into the colorful world of heavily sugared cereals, part of what, in my youth, they would call this nutritious breakfast. Um, Nowadays, I feel like the the last time I saw a cereal commercial, which has been some time now, they've euphemized it to like it's part of your complete breakfast, I think, because I think it might be kind of a stretch to uh, proclaim the nutrition benefits of these cereals. Did a lot of this breakfast cereal stuff, there's a whole carny, huckster, Americana thing in American history. The Kellogg's guy, the Kellogg's guy was a worker, right? He was a carny. Uh, Had all kinds of health... uh, um, uh, health claims and uh, snake oil health stuff. I, there was a movie about it, actually, Road to Wellville, a movie based on, I believe, a novel um, 
by T.C. Boyle. How do I even know this? Did not read the novel, did not watch the movie. I do believe that the film was actually playing in theaters, though, when Icy Robots and I worked together at Universal Artists UA Cinema 6 Movie Theater on 3rd Street in Santa Rosa, California, when it still existed back in its day. Yeah, Road to Wellville was in rotation at that theater when we were employed there. Um... So in any case, I guess uh, over the decades, some folks have caught on to the con and realized these serials are for for entertainment purposes only. They are not actually part of a nutritious anything. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, back to the point being is that um, I was thinking recently, I was talking to my kids, and I think I was pulling them on how familiar they were with these various serials because these serials have not been a part of their childhood either, not really out of any kind of oppression or joy kill on my end. They just weren't really on my radar and they were never really on my kids' radar. It just wasn't really a thing in our household. Um, but I was curious because I, I, I think I saw a commercial for, you know, tricks or something like that. I, I, it's, suddenly, it's like when um, a sleeper agent um, hears... Uh, a code phrase, like when they was it the Winter Soldier had that series of phrases that would would bring him back to Winter Soldierness. Um, but seeing a commercial for one of those old throwback serials triggers in me suddenly memories of, of how indoctrinated I was into being aware of these serials, despite um, not really having any experience with them. Um, any experience with them, that is. I feel like I slurred that a bit, but. It turned out that my children were also aware of many of these serials, despite uh, not having direct access or experience with them themselves. Um, and so, as I probably mentioned on the episode where I talked about serials last time, uh, it just kind of sparked to me, it's it just kind of interesting to me what weirdly a big part of my imaginative life those serials those trickses, those lucky charms, those Captain Crunches. Um, what a big part they played in my inner life, despite not really having any <clears throat> direct experience with the products themselves. And so I decided, um, in order to kind of get some closure with this topic, that I needed to spend some time actually sampling these uh, cereals to discover for myself what all the hubbub was about. So as I think I talked about last time, in fact, yes, I know I talked about last time that I, uh, the last time that I brought up my cereal life here on the show, um, I did a first foray into sampling mainstream corporate American sugary cereals, um, and it was not a complete success, mainly because I had mentioned to Ms. Uh, Sensational, my wife, who was doing some grocery shopping, that I was interested in uh, getting a few of those multi-box, multi-little box sample uh, packages of cereals. And um, she got two uh, sample sets, uh, but she handed them off to each of our daughters, uh, Miss Sensational 1 and Miss Sensational 2, because I think she just figured oh, I want to get some of these for the kids or something. I don't know. I, something was lost in translation. So essentially we had two uh, sample packs of, um, these were Kellogg cereals, but each one went into the possession of each girl. And I was, much like uh, the Silly Rabbit in the Tricks commercial, um, I would attempt to go in to sample one of the boxes for myself and it would be like swiped away from under my nose. And I was told, these are mine. 
And uh, so I did get to try Apple Jacks, and I did get to try um, Frosted Flakes, but I didn't get a whole lot further than that, and it was in such a weird, haphazard way that I didn't have any real good working thoughts um, to share with you all, um, other than we were off to a positive start with discovering the hubbub. I was not disappointed by these cereals, but I decided I wanted to revisit the topic, and I wanted to do it the right way. So I myself went to the grocery store, uh, sans the girls, they were not informed of this, um, and I purchased one Kellogg sample package of uh, cereals and one General Mills package of sample cereals. Now, first, as a general overview, I will say that my takeaway from sampling these iconic American sugary cereals is that unlike other similar corporate processed foods where when I've gone to try to find out what all the hubbub is about, I've been a little bit disappointed. I'm looking at you, Hostess, and those types of products, you know, like, I I don't know, just for me, you know, I didn't have a lot of Twinkies. I didn't have a lot of Ho-Hos or Ding Dongs when I was a kid. As an adult, when I've gone out and sampled them, they're never really that good. They're okay, but they don't really live up to the fantasies about them I had in my mind um, as a deprived youth. Uh, but when it comes to these cereals, they're actually amazing. They're a revelation. They're, they're great. They, they really are all they've cracked up to be. And that, that's not, I, I, you know, in my experience with these kind of things, that's not always the case. So that, that's been kind of a nice little ray of morning sunshine in my uh, breakfast cereal odyssey. But... Um, Let's just get down to brass tacks real quick and do a rundown of the cereals that I've sampled thus far. Okay, let's kick things off with the General Mills uh, variety pack. Now, the General Mills variety pack comes strapped with a package of Lucky Charms, one package of Honey Nut Cheerios, a pack of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, some Golden Grams, Cocoa Puffs, a package of Frosted Cheerios, a package of Classic Regular Cheerios, and finally, a pack of Tricks. So, uh, taking a look at what I've sampled out of this pack. Starting with Lucky Charms. OMG, these things were amazing. The marshmallows were all that that freaking little leprechaun uh, has been on about my entire life. I, fi I finally see why he was losing his stuff over um, these magically delicious uh, breakfast offerings um, brought to us by um, our beneficent overlords at the General Mills Corporation. Uh, Lucky Charms, these get a, uh, uh, on the uh, source mic scale of, uh, what is it, one being a dud and five being like really good, I guess. I'm gonna give Lucky Charms, um, Four and three quarters mics. That's four and three quartars for the Lucky Charms. Uh, Honey Nut Cheerios, I have not eaten that pack yet. Um, I'm a little disappointed overall by the General Mills offering because there were three different variations of Cheerios. And if there is one brand of American uh, cereal I am well versed in, well aware of, it is Cheerios. Um, definitely had some Honey Nut as a youth. And I never really liked Honey Nut as a youth. We'll see once I do get to it, um, how it fares with my adult palate. Uh, but I prefer just regular Cheerios when I was a kid. 
Uh, rounding the horn to Cinnamon Toast Crunch. This one got a lot of buzz from uh, the IC Robots Radio Universe. Um, ISR himself recommended uh, CTC to me, as did uh, some other listeners out there. Cinnamon Toast Crunch was pretty much all it's cracked up to be. It lived up to the hype quite well. I'm going to give Cinnamon Toast Crunch four and a half mics. Uh, moving right along to Golden Grams. Now, this is where some uh, unfortunate occurrences began because my 12-year-old Miss Two um, became aware of the fact that I'd bought these uh, sample packs of cereals, and she ended up making off with the pouch of Golden Grams from the General Mills pack. So I did not get to sample Golden Grams. I don't even really remember Golden Grams. Did, did they have like some kind of like teddy bears doing like an Elvis impersonation? TV commercial or something. I got to look that up later and get back to you. But Golden Grand, or was that the one? Did they have a bear mascot where he was wearing a sweater? Maybe that's something else. I don't know. We'll look these up. We'll get back to you. And as I'm thinking about different cereals, I'm realizing that there are a few iconic ones that are um, noticeably absent from both of these packs. And I think it might be because it was Post also another cereal company. They're missing out on some of the Post cereals. Like it was a Sugar Smacks. I had a frog. I think it was also a post cereal that had that bear I'm thinking of with the sweater. He had like a blue sweater. Um, and then uh, Captain Crunch is uh, off the table on either of these uh, sample packs. I'm not sure which publisher was responsible for it. D does one publish cereal? Uh, anyway, what purveyor was responsible for the captain? But anyway, moving right along from Golden Grams, we go to Cocoa Puffs. And once again, Cocoa Puffs was swiped by Miss Two. So we will have to wait for um, Cocoa Puffs, Puffs verdict for a later date. We now move on to Frosted Cheerios, which I have not eaten yet. Um, and then on to Classic Cheerios, which I just ate before this recording. Classic Cheerios gets a solid two and a half mics. Um, finally from this pack, Tricks. I can see why that poor rabbit is so frustrated. And now I just realized the depth of those children's depravity from keeping Tricks from him for all these decades. Tricks is amazing. Tricks is phenomenal. Um, Tricks threw me for a loop too because my memory of tricks as a kid I did have it once as I mentioned on a prior episode in a class project we were using pieces of tricks for counting and I ate my pieces and they were just kind of this sad puffed wheat with a little bit of flavor in it now these tricks were all in various fruit shapes and they were just a, a, a revelatory burst of just rainbow fruity flavor oh, man I think, I, I think I'm going five mics for tricks tricks Full five mics. Trix is the, uh, the the Tokyo Dome of, uh, of uh, breakfast cereals. Um, moving right along from the General Mills sample variety pack to Kellogg's. The road to Wellville with these nutritious cereals. Um, Kellogg's, uh, let's find the uh, inventory here. Um, this is the one I had. I'm looking on the uh, Google machine here. Um, Making for some uh, phenomenal audio as I fumble to figure out which cereals were in this one that I had and why is it different than everything else I'm seeing here. Um, all right, all right, here we go. I found it. The Kellogg's Fun Pack, pack spelled P-A-K. Now, the Fun Pack came with, starting off, Corn Pops. Corn Pops is simple but delicious. Corn Pops is just these kind of chewy but crunchy sweet puffs of corn to pop. And we're going to give Kellogg's Corn Pops a uh, respectable four mics on the source 
microphone scale. Uh, moving on, we go to Fruit Loops, which I uh, had um, prior to this recording today. I had one bowl of classic Cheerios, one bowl of Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops is um, not as uh, high on my list as its sort of cousin counterparts over on the General Mills side of things, Tricks or even uh, Lucky Charms. As far as the world of uh, Fruit Gone Wild goes, Fruit Loops is good, but not great. So Fruit Loops is going to get a three and three quarters mics on the source scale. Moving on, we go to the bizarre Apple Jacks. I still don't understand exactly what Apple Jacks is all about, what Apple Jacks is really trying to be. Um, it's got that terrifying apple and cinnamon stick cartoon characters that are its mascots nowadays. I remember in my childhood, it was these kind of cutesy stick figure drawings that a kid had drawn with its mascots. Uh, Apple Jacks is kind of cinnamony apple stuff. Um, it's all right. Um, it's going to go two and three quarters mics on the uh, source mic meter. I feel like maybe earlier when I was talking about the General Mills cereal, I might have um, uh, transposed mics with stars because wrestling is uh, measured by one to five stars. If I did do that, it's all the same. Mike stars. One to five. All good in the hood. And then finally, um, in this variety pack, we move on. Oh, not finally. There's a few more. We move on to uh, Frosted Flakes, which I had last time and are still as good as I remembered. Frosted Flakes, simple but delicious. And simple but delicious gets them four and a quarter mics on the source microphone scale. Um... Let's see, this, um, oh God, last but not least, the one I was missing here. Um, this Kellogg's Fun Pack comes with a box of Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Krispies I, I, was a revelation to me. It did not occur to me that one of the benefits of Cocoa Krispies, that not, it would not only be the Cocoa Krispie deliciousness of these chocolate-flavored Rice Krispies in and of themselves, but the fact that these Cocoa Krispies turn the milk that you use as the bed to the cereal into chocolate milk. Folks, Cocoa Krispies is five mics on the source, microphone scale, and five stars on the Wrestling Observer newsletter star scale. Five stars. I would give it, you know, we're going to go Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada. We're going to give Cocoa Krispies seven stars. And that is my take so far on my Serial Odyssey. We'll be back in just a moment to finish off today's episode with some vampire and Castlevania talk. <laughs> scary. And we are back on episode 42 the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. It's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, and we are going to finish up today's episode uh, talking about a couple things, but all springboarding off the fact that I have been for hopefully the final time, I think the final time, re-watching um, the entirety of the Netflix Castlevania animated series written by famed comic book scribe Warren Ellis. Um, I've been watching this show since it first debuted on Netflix with like a five-episode uh, run for its first season, which seemed kind of uh, short. 
Um, and just recently, its final season, I believe, season four has dropped. But the thing with this Castlevania show is um, I've watched every season in its entirety um, around the time that it's initially been dropped on Netflix. But because there's so much time or relatively so much time in between seasons and because the seasons, especially that first one was so short. And then I think they've maybe gotten progressively longer or maybe the second one was longer and then the third wasn't as short as the first, but ratcheted back down. I mean, one way or the other, the episode counts have kind of uh, risen and fallen over a few of the seasons. Um, and these are short shows. I think they're only like, you know, under a half hour each episode, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. If I recall correctly. Um, is not what the Iron Chef uh, guy used to say? I don't know. The, the Japanese version. Um, the guy that ran Kitchen Stadium. What was he, like a count? I don't know. Hey, he was kind of vampire-esque now that I think about it. But anyway, um, in the time between seasons, I have often, or I have each time, kind of forgotten what happened in the preceding season. And because it's such a relatively short show, it seems dumb to have memory gaps. So each time a new season's dropped, I basically started the series over. So like when season two came out, I didn't start with season two, I started with season one. When season three came out, I didn't start with season three, I started with season one. So now that season four came out, I started with season one, and this is my fourth time watching this show all the way through. I guess it's the fourth time I've seen season one, the third time I've seen season two, it'll be the second time I've finished season three, and then the first and only time I'll watch season four. I'm in, I'm on season three right now, um, about to get to season four. But um, point of all this, I've thoroughly enjoyed this show. It's just, it's got about everything. It hits all those Gino Vegan sweet spots. It's got kind of the anime style animation, which I've long been a mark for. It's uh, based on. Um, uh, a video game franchise that came into existence for me on the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is kind of my my sweet spot, my golden era for home video gaming. Um, it's got vampires, which are kind of on the... Uh, like, whenever I engage with Castlevania or other vampire franchises, I know it never occurs to me that I enjoy uh, vampire fiction. But whenever I'm confronted with it, I realize I kind of do, which is weird, because I'm not like a goth guy. I'm not, I'm not ooh, spooky, dark, drinking wine out of a goblet while cosplaying a vampire or watching Castlevania. But there's something about the vampire mythos that hits me, and that's part of what we'll talk about here. And I also just kind of like episodic adventures, and it's got that. You know, it's got the, the uh, Belmont and Sypha wandering the countryside, fighting monsters. I like that kind of thing. All in one kind of neat, succinct package that I can easily stream on Netflix. So what how, what can I possibly complain about? I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed everything about this show. Um, I haven't finished it. Maybe it'll go off a cliff at the end, but I don't really think so. I'm not one of those types. Like, you know, some people, I feel like a lot of people really, when they're consuming media, consuming a television series, will get hung up on like, I liked this season, but I didn't like that season. I liked this episode, but I didn't like that episode. For me, it's just kind of at a certain point, I either sign on to a franchise or I don't. And I just kind of accept it as a whole or I give up on it. Um, so, and that's probably just, it, it's hard for me. It's too, I go down too much of an OCD path if I try to parse out, if I try to nitpick one season over another. I just kind of, I, I need to sit back and, and, and soak in the experience as a whole and just accept the experience as a whole with its highs, with its lulls, with its ebbs, with its flows. That's just how I watch. Uh, I guess this mainly applies to television series because they're, they're, they're the main season driven um, form of consumable entertainment, I guess. Um, 
I guess also like video game franchises have have their their sequels and movie franchises, but I don't get around to as many of those. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, been enjoying Castlevania, um, and it's made me think of a couple different things. First of all, when I see such a wonderful adaptation of a video game franchise that really came into its own in the Nintendo Entertainment System days. I am reminded of just what a wonderful time period the Nintendo days were um, when they were happening in real time, when playing video games was playing Nintendo. I know prior to that it was playing Atari, but but um, and that, that's what I initially cut my teeth on, but my allegiance is to playing Nintendo. I loved playing Nintendo. Everything about Nintendo. I, I enjoyed the Atari 2600 time period as much as the next person, but I could always perceive the limitation of those games. And when it jumped up to the Nintendo level, the first time I saw Super Mario Brothers and you fell off the screen, but you didn't die because you just continued falling into another screen below it. I was like, this, this is what the 2600 was trying to be. And we're finally there. Um, we talked about, about this more in detail. I should probably do a home video game episode and um, maybe we'll do that sooner than later. So I don't want to go too far off that track. But one of the things that was so um, riveting to me about the Nintendo era, era is um, the Nintendo Entertainment presentation both with its hardware and with its software, did a very good job for me of presenting a internally consistent universe. It was one of those brands like Disney, um, I guess like Star Wars, which I guess now is owned by Disney. Um, I'm trying to think what other brands uh, succeeded this. And Marvel does a good job at this. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a, a super fan of all these different franchises, but there, there are certain franchises, certain brands that are so good at branding that they draw you into this world where everything is part of that brand and everything feels like it belongs. Whether you're a super fan or not, you have to kind of admit that. Like, I don't like Star Wars, but I admit that Star Wars does a wonderful job of creating a very distinct Star Wars universe. Um, NES, same thing. Like, all these franchises, even though they weren't directly related, they all felt like they existed in the same universe. Like, Castlevania and Punch-Out were in the same universe, as, as weird as that sounds. Um, but... And each, each franchise brought its own unique identity of the universe. Like Castlevania was the vampire domain of the universe. Punch-Out was the, the sports and boxing, combat sports uh, domain of the universe. Uh, Metroid was the lonely science fiction little spindle of the universe. Uh, Zelda was the high fantasy uh, section of the universe. Um, I guess, again, kind of like how Disneyland has its, like, you know, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, blah, blah, blah. Um, Nintendo just did a great job of that, and that's part of what makes those childhood memories so Heartwarming to me is just remembering when I existed in that Nintendo realm or that world felt very real to me. And Castlevania was a big part of that. Um, enjoyed Castlevania. I enjoyed the first one. I really cut my teeth on Simon's Quest. Uh, I believe that was the second one. And I'm sure there, there might be discrepancies in these releases based on what was released where and who and what based on country, region, I don't... You know, with some of these old Nintendo games, some of the ones we saw in the States were uh, that kind of ports or remakes of other games. Whatever. I don't have it up in front of me. We're not going to get into those details today. Maybe we'll talk about that more on an actual video game-focused episode. But um, Simon's Quest, I think that's a game that gets derided quite a bit, but I thoroughly enjoyed being able to go around and talk to the townspeople and how the, the tenor of the town would change between day and night. Um, and... Simon's Quest is when it started to bring that kind of more, um, 
depth of character feeling to the Castlevania games. So the first one, you kind of felt like you were just kind of a faceless, the faceless guy on the package with your whip going around fighting vampires. Simon's Quest brought more of a mythology to the whole thing, more of a depth of character. And this saw, for me, and for a lot of people, I'm sure, it's extreme fruition on the original PlayStation with the just exquisite Castlevania Symphony of the Night video game, which if you haven't played, you owe it to yourself to give it a whirl. I believe it's available if you have a PlayStation 4 console, maybe even 5 now, I don't know. But it's I, I have it for my 4. I've been meaning to replay it. I haven't gotten there yet. And it's one of those things that makes me so sad because I realize it's been so freaking long. There was a time period in my life where I kind of felt, you know how in, in, a, in an individual's life, there's there's kind of distinct chapters, distinct phases of life. Um, like for me, I have like my little kid phase. I have my uh, um, getting uh, picked on in, in junior high phase. I have my, my cool dude, punk rocker, high school era. Um, these different distinct eras where I feel... I can see how I was changing, how I was evolving, how there was distinct new things happening in my life. When one of those eras, we're going to call it the Facebook era, because it was around 2009, it was when I was first on Facebook, and it was when I had kind of been um, disconnected from a lot of people from my youth, and due to Facebook, I kind of got reacquainted with a lot of these people all in this massive succession. Um, I see Robots and I hadn't seen each other and talked in years, and we became reacquainted via Facebook. Um... Uh, my old high school punk rock band, The Invalids, started playing again for a while due to um, some reunion stuff that happened on Facebook. Um, I met a lot of new people for the first time that I only know through Facebook around that 2009 era. And among those people, friend of the show, friend of the network, um, consistent victim of trolling on my part, and once again, still feeling bad about it, but I, I, just, I can't help myself. You know, I, I've actually been walking the earth a bit when it comes to Facebook right now. I've been trying to stay away from social media because it's just so... I feel the, the good parts of it are few and far between nowadays. And I do think it has good parts. I'm not one of these knee-jerk, Facebook is bad um, people. But I, less of the good, more of the bad, more just people doing laughing uh, reaction icons to, to things that I don't understand why anyone would be laughing about, you know. Like some post about like nurses helping with people being vaccinated. You get the proverbial laughs. Then you look at the person to the laugh and it's always some mutant. Um, but just a lot of joy kills. Some people complain. Like a new video video game comes out and just endless complaining about how much it costs. It's like, dude, think about how many hours you're going to spend on this thing's pennies on the dollar. Anyway, neither here nor there. But um, so I've been trying to stay away from Facebook. Every so often I do still check it and I will come across this poor individual whose name is Albert A. He's on Twitter under the name Teen Idol. Um, he also runs the uh, Twitter boxing boxing account, Boxing Helena. Um, good old Albert, I will randomly check Facebook, and maybe it's like 2 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I'm like kind of delirious because I need to go to bed, and he'll have some earnest post, and I just can't help but resist busting some smart remark, and then I wake up the next morning just regretting it and feeling like, I, I don't know why I relentlessly troll this poor kind young man who's just out in the world doing great stuff. But Albert A, heartfelt apologies once again, but I always got to troll, troll the Albertster. Um, but anyway, 2009, I think is when I, when I quote unquote met Albert online on Facebook. Um, and what was the point of all this? Oh, the point of all this is that uh, in that, those early days of knowing Albert, 
Um, and I mean, even to this day, I, it still comes up now and again, but I, I've known this now since 2009 or thereabouts. Um, Albert's a big proponent of Symphony of the Night, um, loves that game. And so probably around 2009, he posted something about it. I was like, I really got to revisit that game and play it again. And now it's been how many years? 19, 20, like 12 years? Am I doing my math right? That was 12 years ago. 12 years. Unreal. Unreal how time changes. Unreal. That, that Facebook era, which seemed like such a late stage new phase in my, in my uh, aging life, is so long ago now that it was when I was still a young man. And now I'm in a, I'm probably like two phases past that one and aging by the day. But anyway, Symphony of the Night, easy for me to say, it's an amazing game. That's really what catapulted Castlevania. Castlevania would always be iconic for me just because of its existence in that first tier of the Nintendo universe. But Symphonies of the Night is what turned it into legend for me. And once again, reminded me that I have this weird thing about vampires. Because it seems like the kind of thing I would actually make fun of, the whole like, ooh, you're a scary goth, but then I get kind of drawn in. What is it that draws me in? I Same thing, I, when I was a kid, when I was a young adult, it was trendy in my friend group to make fun of dorks that played Vampire uh, the Masquerade. And I say this as someone that played role-playing games myself, it was, but in the, in the tier of dorks playing role-playing games, like dorks like me playing like, you know, D&D, cyberpunk, uh, whatever, felt free to look down at Vampire the Masquerade people as even dorkier because the whole goth component. I remember one night I was walking the streets of Santa Rosa, California, and this is when, um, so in my early 20s, I was living in a sweet bachelor pad in Santa Rosa, California with two other roommates. And uh, I was doing kind of a bar crawl, and I was walking home from the bar crawl, and I was walking down a street called Mendocino Avenue in uh, Santa Rosa, California. And as you walk along Mendocino Avenue, you come across an Episcopal church um, uh, pretty little uh, classical looking church with a nice little courtyard out in front. And this is a really busy street. This is like the the, the cruise strip of Santa Rosa. Um, I'm thinking of the right street, right? It is on Mendocino? I don't know. It could have, yeah, it, it's, it's on Mendocino. Yeah, for sure it's on Mendocino. So, But it's on Mendocino as it gets into downtown. Anyway, walking past the Episcopal Church and um, an individual clad all in black doing some kind of vampire cosplay comes jumping out from behind a bench in the courtyard and hisses at me and is trying to uh, act like I'm a passerby in this LARP, live-action role-playing Vampire the Masquerade him and his homies were doing, and I was like, oh my god, you guys are dorks. Um, But, unbeknownst to everyone else, well, that was my public stance. A few years later, when um, a PC, again, I mean personal computer, don't get triggered if, if you're a mutant and you're listening, a personal computer video game of Vampire the Masquerade came out, and I totally bought it and played it and enjoyed every minute of it. Um, one, uh, quick note on LARPing, live action role-playing, uh, gaming. Uh, I was at an event once. It was a going away barbecue, um, for my wife, Ms. S when she was leaving a job she had had in uh, San Jose, California. And I was at this barbecue and I was standing next to two individuals, um, two male spouses of two women that Ms. S worked with in San Jose. And both guys happened to be immigrants to the United States. One was an Israeli guy who came here. One was an Indian guy from India who came here, and we were standing around kind of shooting the breeze, and all of a sudden we looked over, and there were two kind of little armies of individuals running at each other with what are, like those weird LARP, you know, sticks with like, not tennis balls on either side, but fake medieval weapons, uh, two armies running across a hill at each other and LARPing, and I knew exactly what was going on. But the two more recent arrivals to the United States were kind of looking at it, looking at each other. 
And I remember one said, is this some form of lacrosse? And the other one said, possibly. They didn't know what it was. And I was like, welcome to America, gents. This is LARPing. Learn the rules. Anyway, um, back to vampires in Castlevania. I, what it is that I think um, appeals to me, or not necessarily appeals to me, but fascinates me about vampire myth, vampire lore, vampire fiction, and you see this a lot in the Netflix Castlevania show, is that vampiricism, the idea of a vampire nation, these vampires living in our midst, um, is a very apt metaphor for human individuals that live entirely for themselves, entirely for their own amusement, that never really find a calling in life that speaks to anything higher than themselves, than their own ego, their own gratification. Um, the vampire lives forever um, and basically has to sustain that eternal life on its own amusement, its own draining of blood of human beings uh, for its own purposes, its own gain. Um, and in Castlevania, it does a very good job of depicting the vampire as kind of the ghoul living forever for oneself, um, in tension against individuals that are kind of coming to terms with or finding ways to live for something other than themselves. Like the uh, Trevor Belmont character. This is, if you, I don't know how spoiler-free this is going to be, so if you're really, really concerned about spoilers, shut it down now, shut it off, man, game over. But, uh, you know, the Trevor Belmont character is the, the proverbial Mad Mardigan, Han Solo, that's trying to convince himself he's only in it for himself, but as the series progresses, he realizes he does have a calling outside of his own selfish interests, his own selfish gain, and he begrudgingly accepts it and becomes a full person, becomes the anti-vampire. Whereas um, some of the vampires have a chance to become more human. Uh, Dracula begins the series attempting to understand human life, attempting to understand living for other people, living with interests greater than your own, and he almost gets there, but... Tragic events cause him to instead succumb to hate, instead to succumb to just being consumed by by his own ego, by what he wants. And that's another interesting tension in the Castlevania series because you have um, several characters, both human and vampire, striving for something greater than themselves, striving for meaning, and then just getting sucked into the mire of, of um, anger and um, just taking slights and using it to create hate instead of creating instead of it creating a bridge to something else. And so if you have seen the show, maybe you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, please do yourself a favor, check it out. It's it's an excellent watch. Even if you're not into vampire stuff, it's it's just really interesting um interesting study on the human condition if that's something that interests you. And there's some fun gore and and monster scenes and and, uh, and all that spooky kind of stuff. Um the Castlevania series boasts one of my favorite meditations that I can think of ever on belligerent people, on inflictive um, kind of Mad Maxian um, people that see other people as things to use, things to uh, fear, things to that are competing with their own space, that, that life is a competition, that life is, is using other people for your gains. There's this amazing scene, spoiler alert, I guess, um, where one of the characters, a human character, is stuck out in the middle of the desert, and he's drinking from a, a 
pool, a little spring he's found in the desert. <clears throat> and he gets set upon by several men on horses. He has no supplies. They're all geared up and they're on their horses. And they basically are treating him like he's not a human being and are talking amongst themselves about whether they should eat him or whether they should sell him as a slave. And the individual that they're speculating about who's drinking from the pool raises a very good point to these people that honestly, honestly, as a human being, is that the best you can do? Come across a stranger in the desert drinking from a pool where there's plenty of water for everyone and your go-to is to speculate whether you should eat them or sell them as a slave. Is that the best response you could have to that situation? And I think that's a very good question because I think we often um, come across the proverbial person drinking from the pool in the desert. And I think it's incumbent upon us to ask if our response is really the best that we can do. Um, and we probably wouldn't uh, suggest eating them or even explicitly selling them as a slave. But, but, but you know, it, it's, it's food for thought. Think about how you yourself uh, encounter the other out in the world. And with that, I will rate what I've seen so far of Castlevania on Netflix with a... Uh, Mm. Gonna give it a four and three quarters on uh, the source microphone scale. I think it's an excellent series, and I'm interested to see how it wraps up. And speaking of wrapping up, it is time to wrap things up here on episode 42 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We will be back next time. Uh, the IC Robots uh, Radio Universe is ramping back up. We had our first. Um, Content from ISR himself dropped earlier this week, a Marvel Guide to Everything Black Widow. So check that out from uh, the IC Robots radio feed if you haven't already, and more news to come down the pike with more offerings from the man himself, IC Robots. But in the meantime, I will be back next week with episode 43 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network. And until then, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, Signing off. <laughs>